Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday edition of Flyers Daily, and we are getting darn close. I think we have one more. Is it one more Monday until uh, it left in August after today? I think it is. Yep. And then we'll be into the month of September. Can't believe it. And that's when we're going to start to see some players come into town as well. And joining us for his Monday visit, as he always does, from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, it is Bill Meltzer. Bill, I know you were at Alumni Fantasy Camp. How was it? Oh, it, it's been fantastic. Um, it, it's always a great time. And, and um, we did a, did a really kind of little pretty cool excursion um, on Saturday night. Um, we had a a guided tour and uh, a dinner aboard the uh, USS New Jersey. Oh, cool. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, most decorated battleship in, in U.S. Naval history and was, was built right in the Philadelphia Navy Yard. Um, so that, that, that was an amazing experience getting, you know, talking to people that actually served six years on there, 10 years on there. That was really, really cool. And another thing about it was that was pretty darn cool was that, um, uh, well, Keith Jones is one of the the coaches at, at Fantasy Camp, um, so he he was there he was there last night. Danny Briere was there last night as a surprise. The the campers didn't know Danny was going to surprise him and, and and come to it. Um, Ian Leperriere is is one of the coaches at camp again this year, and it, it just I mean those guys get it. They are so good with the fans, so connected, and just just watching them interacting. With fans and obviously the, the, these people are also hockey players too so there, there's that bond there as well but I just uh, you know just being a fly on the wall taking it all in is really really cool and you know with hockey around the corner it was uh, you know nice to, nice to be around the rink again and I'm sure it just felt good to be inside the rink just the you know the yeah. feeling you get in the hockey like that's a home for us you know people that love this game cover this game played the game just the hum of the you know the rink and one of my very peaceful places is being in a hockey rink when there's a freshly cut sheet of ice there and nobody else is in the rink, yeah. not a sound and just that hum of the, the, the generators and the refrigeration and everything. It's got its own smell, some of it good, some of it not so good, but um, it is a, a comforting place uh, for me. And I know for you as well, um, Bill over the weekend, I mean, what, you know, looking at kind of this day in flyers history, I mean, we've had a pretty decorated weekend for, big happenings that the Flyers have had uh, in particular uh, yesterday on Sunday. That was the day in 1982, the Flyers acquired Mark Howe, <laughs> uh, best defenseman in franchise history, hall of famer. Um, also the day that the Tampa Bay lightning, as you pointed out to me, didn't match the Chris Gratton offer sheet. And also the day in 2001 that the Flyers traded Eric Lindros to the Rangers. What the heck was happening on August 20th? Usually nothing happens on August 20th. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Uh, three wow. very major events in Flyers history. Um, you know, one of them, one of the best things that ever happened. One of them was, was a mistake in retrospect. The other was kind of, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a mixed bag, a little bit of both. But um, yeah, those, those are three huge things. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing with getting Mark Howe 41 years ago, uh, crazy that it's 41 years ago now, Yeah, um, is that, it shows that you have to be bold sometimes, you know, because Kenny Lindsman was coming off of, I think, a 92 point season. And that was, that was, that was the cost of doing business on there. You know, it was a three team trade with uh, the Flyers and the Hartford Whalers and the Edmonton Oilers. So uh, Lindsman had led the Flyers in scoring the previous year and it also cost the Flyers a first round pick. 
And uh, at the time, they were pretty high on power forward um, Greg Adams too. But you know, h- how do you how do you turn down a number one defenseman? You know, and obviously Howie came in and he was a three time Norris finalist. And you know, one one of the I, I can't even imagine the Flyers in the eighties without Mark Howe. And, and uh, obviously, as you said, best defenseman in, in Flyers franchise history. So that was pretty mo- pretty monumental. Uh, you know, I, I remember the time it was a very exciting thing. I mean, if it hadn't been for if it hadn't been for Howie getting impaled on the net a year earlier, and and Hartford kind of panicking and putting him on the market, he probably wouldn't even been available. Yeah. So that uh, pretty crazy. Um, the the Grand thing. I mean, obviously that didn't really work out and it's funny at the time because it was an as you said it was an offer sheet it was a restricted free agent and it cost the flyers four first round picks when it didn't match but it was worked out as a trade so they flipped the four first round picks back to the flyers um and they got michael randberg and carl dykehouse in the trade um and i, I you know i was a big randberg guy still am so still love Rennie. but but you, you go back and you go back in hindsight and you know, two of those four picks were um were Simone Gagne and, and Justin Williams, but especially Gagne. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, and you don't you don't know who Tampa would have drafted, but thank goodness, thank goodness that that those you know, they uh they turned into a trade. I, I can't again you can't imagine the Flyers without Gagne in you know the early two thousands. Yeah. Um that's spectacular. So, oh for, for sure, for sure. And the in the uh the Lindros trade, you know Eric had held out for a year and it was obvious the relationship with the Flyers was over. You know, it was just, just a question of where he was going to land. I remember all that time, I suppose Toronto, Toronto, Toronto. Yeah. Going home. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Going home. And uh, for a while it was Lindros straight up for Matt Sundin or Lindros for a package and just went on and on and on for a full year. And then finally he, you know, traded to the hated Rangers. Um, and that one worked out okay for the Flyers. You know, Eric had, Eric had um, he was so productive, but he wasn't the he wasn't the guy who was top five in, in points per game in NHL history as he was as the at the end of his Flyers career. And Kim Janssen came here, he won I think two Barry Ashby trophies. Yeah, um, you know Jan Halavich didn't stay very long, but they got Brashear straight up for Halavich, and Brashear served the team well for a number of years. And you know Pavel Brendel was a bust. But you know the the Flyers did get get some value out of that. That's the bottom line. So yeah, three three huge moves, franchise shifting moves, and yeah, all all in that day in history. Very strange. It, it's almost hard to believe, which brings me to my next point, because the common thread amongst those three things, the acquisition of Mark Howe and that trade with Kenny Lindsman and the three teamer, um, obviously just Lindros's tenure here was a very bold and huge package to get him here and then ship him to the Rangers, who they fought against the Rangers to get him here in the first place when the MVP got to a finals in 97. And then the other element, obviously, is Chris Gratton, another very bold move, offer sheet, four picks you were willing to give up and recouped it, like you said. But they they all were very bold moves, and the Flyers have been known to that. They've been conditioned for that. And I got this email from uh, John S., I won't put his last name out there, but he says, Jason, it appears for now that the Flyers have learned their lesson and didn't sign any long-term big-dollar contracts. He said, you said it yourself, that players were being paid for what they've done, not what they're going to do. We didn't see any head-scratchers this offseason. I'm hoping the days of contracts like Ilya Brzgalov and Andrew McDonald are over. 
uh, John S. from Long Island. Um, now is not the time, Bill, for this team to swing big for the fences. You know, you get Meechkoff at seven in the draft, and, you know, there was some subtraction this offseason and some moderate addition to this team. Uh, but this is going to be a much more deliberate approach. While they're going back in some ways to the days of uh, Ed Snyder, um, not all of those days are going back to because I don't know that, that that swinging like that can work in today's NHL. And if you get desperate like that, like I think the Penguins did with Eric Carlson, I think it's to detriment more than it is to benefit. Yeah, and and I mean, and, you know, it can work out for a time. Um, look, look at the Chris Pronger trade, right? Um, yep. The, would the Flyers have gotten to a cup final, got within an overtime of a game seven without Chris Pronger? No, no, they wouldn't. No chance. Um, and then, you know, the next year after I think he missed half the games, which was back and knee and all kinds of all kinds of ailments. And then then he had the career ending ocular concussion. And Flyers, and Flyers have really been trying to get back to where they were at that point ever since. Over really over the last eleven years, other than some, you know, some some small bounce backs here and there, but never including never, a Shea Weber offer sheet. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, yeah. Now that's that's another one. That's another what if that would be mm-hmm. really interesting to to go through, um, you know, so, I mean, it can be done on the cap age. Um, a lot of times the contracts don't age very well. Um, or, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think in Pittsburgh's case, and we talked about that a, a couple of weeks ago, I think Pittsburgh's window was closed and they're, it's, you know, and I, I don't understand why a team that a was healthy last year and didn't make the playoffs. B is the oldest team in the NHL. And see, still has Chris Letang. Yeah. Really needed Eric Carlson. So Yeah, it se- it seems redundant to me in nature as well. And they signed Jari to that long term deal. And yeah. you know, a lot of people very high on Kyle Dubas, you know, being the president and GM there. We'll see how that works out. I just think it's a, a situation that I just don't know that you can't suffer before it gets better there. And they seem to be delaying that. And I understand it with Crosby and Malkin and still Letang, but you know, sometimes it's it the right move is to to move on and let go, uh, not hang on for dear life, and that seems to be what they're doing. Um, Bill, you know, speaking of number one defensemen and Mark Howe and Chris Pronger and Kimo Thiemann and Eric Desjardins, you know, in, instead of going back this in this episode, and we'll get back to it next week to the top ten question marks. I wanted to go through a couple of these. Um, I call them knowns or no things you'll know you know about this team with a relative level of certainty heading into the season. I wanted to run a couple of them past you. And speaking of number one, we've talked about, you know, the subtraction of Ivan Provorov and the trickle-down effect that that could have. But one of the knowns I did have in, in the list that I put out in last week's episode was that despite not playing with a true number one partner, I, I feel very confident that Cam York is going to continue to develop his NHL games. I think he's going to get number one power play unit as a quarterback. Yeah. He's done that for the World Junior team done it at other levels. But I think we're going to feel even better about Cam York at the end of this season than we did at the end of last season. I think so too. Um, you know, I, I think that we now know that he's a, that he is an NHL defenseman. Yep. That um, you know he, he can play at a pretty high level. Now, is he is he a first pair guy? We'll see. I think it's all you know a little bit partner dependent. We'll see who who they end up playing him with um, going into this year. Um, a number one guy is is uh, a little bit a little bit of heavyweight to to bear. But yep. um, but a guy who can certainly play, give you some minutes, and and I think will 
A, continue to be more productive, and B, you'll see his his all-around game continue continue to grow this year. I, I, he's a guy I do feel some confidence in. Bill, do you think that, you know, due to the way that Cam York's year went last year, you know, from, from the day training camp began, not making the team, and going down with the Phantoms, taking care of business, coming up, and then, you know, John Tortorella saying, I don't mind if you make mistakes, but I want you to push the pace and make mistakes because you're being aggressive. And we started to see that more. And Cam is such a laid back type of player. And I talk about this a lot that sometimes we see guys that are really fluid in sport. It doesn't look like they're trying hard because they're so fluid and just natural. He looks like that guy. Um, but do you think that the, the way that things panned out for Cam York last year with those uh, ups and downs, do you think that, Changes the mindset on Emil Andre at all going into this training camp? Well, it's uh, – I, I think to a degree. I think you have to view every case individually. Yeah. Um, I mean, Andre's only know, played a, a, a handful of games, basically, exactly, at the yeah, AHL just, level. Just, just a few weeks in the yeah. American League. They did have that little short best-of-three playoff series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, certainly, he certainly looked pretty exciting. You know, it's against – American League competition, I mean, is fairly comparable to what he saw in Sweden, the, the level level competition he played against. But you do have the rink adjustment, and, and uh, I think the pace is just a, just a tad quicker, too. Um, didn't seem intimidated by anything. But if he's, you know, if he needs a little bit more time to develop, so be it. Um, you know, and, and we'll see. We'll see when there's a definitive statement. Um his team in Sweden on their official Instagram um, thanked him for service of the team, wished him luck in North America, which hints at um, oh. it hints at uh, the them being agreeable to him playing over in North America, no matter what. Um, they haven't they haven't made any official statement on that yet, but it, it seems to be leaning that way, and that that's good. That way, you're not forced on you're not forced to play him in the NHL or, or send him send him back to the Swedish team. And if you need some time in the AHL, that's fine. Whether that's a few weeks, a month, even even part of you know even two months, quarter of a season, right? Um, I I think I, I have a I, I think the things that he does well. He's clearly smart, clearly highly competitive. Can can run a run you know run a power play. That, that's another candidate too. Yeah. Even if he starts out on PP two, that's a guy who, you know, I I think that that's in his future. And even though he's small height wise, and he's quite small height wise, he has that thick kind of build, um, so the low center of gravity. And he's not again; he's not intimidated by anything. He, he's one of those smaller defensemen. I don't even think that's going to be a. I don't think that's going to be an issue. You know, I don't. I don't think you put the. I don't think you put pressure on him. To, oh, he's the next chemo team, and then he's the. He's the first Emil Andre, but I, I think he's. You know, but but there's a lot to like. Yeah, that low center of gravity and like just like a, like a fire plug. I, I don't think the small rink intimidates his game. And I think he's one of those guys that with the structure of the NHL and the way they like to stretch the ice and the vision that he has, I think he could be one of those guys that's better at the top level than he was at yeah. feeder levels, if that makes sense. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, one of the things, Bill, we've talked about Travis Sanheim and that need to have the conversation as soon as, you know, camp starts uh, with, you know, the brass and John Tortorella and, you know, put everything in, that happened in the offseason in the rearview mirror and put last year in the rearview mirror. But one of the other knowns that I have 
was that I think he's the most important defenseman on this team for so many reasons, not only for this season, obviously with the loss of Ivan Provorov, but because he does have the contract extension kicking in and the long-term, you know, the long-term contract, the no movement clause, all of those things. To me, he's the most important D-man on this roster and to get him off on the right foot, I think is an, an absolutely paramount thing. Now, ultimately that's going to be up to him, yeah. you know, and, and the way he plays and the way he comes in and the way he handles business. Uh, but to me, he's the most important D-man on this roster. He's got the most to to gain for the team and for himself. Yeah, and, and you know, it's going to be blue by, blue line by committee to, yep. to a degree, but he's a crucial part of that. If he, he needs to bounce back to comparable to the level when he won the Barry Ashby Trophy and was really the impetus for the big extension. Um, you know, with, with Provorov now in Columbus and you're trying to figure out where the minutes coming from and and it's not just minutes by by volume it's also minutes by difficulty of matchups and you know it's uh there has to be some guys for the anchors on the top there who you know or, or your guys with when the game is on the line who are the guys who went out there um sandheim has to be one of those guys um the experience level with the young guys coming in the fact that he that he's a big guy who can really skate which is at a premium in the league. Um, he's a veteran now. He's not a kid anymore. And um, just uh, just by the level of commitment, con- again, contract-wise, but also but also the number of minutes that, that you figure he's going to play and having, having turned the page on, on a tough yep. year and not, a, not the best beginning with torts, I think it's crucial for him to have a, a big year and, and kind of – put all that in the rear view mirror and move forward. If he doesn't, then there's really questions as to, you know, how, how your pairs are going to work out. So I, I 100% agree that he, he's a critical guy, maybe the most, the most critical guy in your projected starting six. Yeah. I mean, he may be the most critical guy on the team. I mean, think about three on three overtime, like be able to utilize a guy with his length, reach, finesse and skating ability in a three on three like that. That's built for him. That's built for a player that moves like he does. It's built for Cam York, too. Um, Bill, the last one in this episode I want to get to, and I feel so confident about this, you know, barring anything unforeseen, uh, obviously injuries that can happen in camp or training or in a preseason game or a regular season game. But, boy, do I feel a ton of confidence that, you know, the the known commodity of Joel Farabee is going to be bounce-back Joel. To me, he is a guy that is ticketed for comeback player of the year. Not that his year was terrible last year. I think we understood with the, yeah. the late surgery in late June last year. And, you know, he played all 82 games, wasn't supposed to be in the lineup until around Thanksgiving, coming off that neck surgery, which was a unique one. And losing so much of his pre-June training because he now he had to rehab for from his surgery. But I think the bounce back that we're going to get from Joel and the big part of the reason why I feel it, Bill, is because Joel Farabee didn't make a single excuse about anything last year. I mean, I, I, I try to say it like to him, you know, like, hey, did you feel like you're kind of chasing it? Because it, he wouldn't go there. He doesn't want not does not think like that as a competitor. And because of that, because of what we saw before, 20 goals and 55 games in the shortened season. I think that we have a, a recency bias that Joel Farabee is not the player that we think he is all of a sudden. 
because of last year, I think he's bouncing back and bouncing back in a big way. Yeah, and I think that in the latter part of the season, March and April, he started he started to look like the Joe Faraby that we got used to seeing before before the injuries. Yeah, where was he going, Bill? Right to the front of the net a lot, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Stopping <laughs> at the net. Yep. Stopping at the net. Um, yep. You know, one of the biggest things a lot of players get into when they when they're not scoring is that they they skate right on past the net. Yeah, and hang and, out on the perimeter. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, and and he was getting back to the things he was doing, and and also, you know, not just just tipping some pucks, um, getting the loose pucks, and and getting rebound opportunities, and then also, you know, also shooting. I mean, I, I thought he was getting quality shots in general from from the slot, getting in, getting below and inside the dots, and um, just starting to push the pace. You can see he was starting to feel it a little bit more. Yeah. And um, you know, after and he kind of it's it happens a lot in hockey. He had that long, long goal drought. I, I guess it was 25, 26 games, something like that last year. And then he then he scored in five in a row. Once he finally got that monkey off his back. It was it was like a weight off his shoulders, and then he started looking more like himself. Um, there's every reason to believe that that uh, still young, he's still one of the younger guys on the team. Yeah. That he that he can he can carry that over to this season and um, have a strong season. And then, you know, I, I think there's a lot of potential in the Flyers forward group. Um, even even before you get guys like like. Gautier and who knows when Mijkov is coming, but you know, but even before those guys arrive, it's it's not a bad group. It's not an elite group, but it, it, there's some depth there, and and so there's some competition there. Um, you know, I I think we've we've talked in previous episodes about Sean Couturier. Uh, if Couturier is healthy, and it go it, it it goes from there, but if he's healthy and reasonably close to himself before the back injuries, then I think it's a pretty good forward group. Obviously, Atkinson fits in that too. And then, you know, if, if Sean can't stay healthy or, or his game has fallen off offensively or whatever, then, you know, then then maybe it's not as deep as it sounds on paper. But, but there's potential there. I think it's potential to have a pretty good forward group. Yeah, and I think the thing that we all need to be careful of when preseason in the beginning of the season starts, provided Couturier is healthy and playing, is understand that it is going to take him a little time because yeah. he hasn't played since December of 21. It's been a while since he's played competitive hockey, longest of his life. I know he's, he mentioned that to me um, when I sat down with him towards the end of the season. So, you know, we're going to have to be understanding of that and not, you know, sometimes we like to come to the full conclusion with a grain of salt as evidence. <laughs> sometimes you need a lot more than that. And, that, that will be a big element. The other thing about Faraby, too, just to, to wrap up on him is, um, you know, going into last season, I just thought that he was a player that John Tortorella would love. You know, guy that can kill penalties. He's undersized, but he'll jump in there and drop the gloves with a much bigger person. Maybe sometimes you go, dude, you don't need to be doing that. But but he's just got a lot of gamer in him, and I think that Torts will respect that. I just didn't think he got to see the full Monty last year of Joel Faraby because of that surgery. And, you know, sometimes your, your confidence will wane when your body won't do what you're used to it doing. And when you have that late surgery, that's one of the things that can jump into play there as well. 
Um, so we've covered a lot of ground in this one, Bill. We'll cover more ground coming up next week when you join us on another Monday edition. So check out uh, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com to read all Bill's great work. And we will talk to you Wednesday on a brand new Flyers Day.